Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join Jill and Tom as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, do me a big favor. Check us out at ConsumerGuide.com while you're there. Check out our 2023 Best Buy picks. If you're shopping for a car, the list is super handy. Also, and this is important, you can downstream or download, no, stream. You can stream back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. All right. Our regular co-host, Jill Simonello, is out today. She is being deprogrammed from a cult. Uh, Her note says something about Orange Theory. I don't know what that is. In her place is our good friend, Paul Harold of the Sons of Speed. Paul, how are you? Doing very well, Tom. What's going on at the Sons of Speed? Um, just uh, not not much. It's been kind of a quiet week, but I just got my car um, PPF'd. I don't know what that is, and you <laughs> promised to explain this to me. Yes. Yeah, so basically, you know, cars are getting like mondo expensive now, right? So yeah. uh, the front end of your car after 40,000 miles, you know what it looks like. It, mm-hmm. It's like spaghetti. It's just, it's horrible. It's got all sorts of rock chips and little nicks and stuff. So- uh, many people now are choosing to do uh, PPF, which stands for paint protection film or protective film. And basically what that is, is you go to kind of a local car shop and they'll put this film on the front of your car um, or the whole car if you want. It, it depends. There's m- many different packages. You can you can have the entire car wrapped or you can have just the front end wrapped, uh, depending on really how much you want to spend. Uh, and what they do is they put this, this uh, queer film on the parts of the car that are going to get the most uh, chip damage. And basically it it really significantly reduces any chip damage. So if you're going to keep your car for a while and you you want your car to look nice for many, many, many miles, uh, it's a great uh, thing to do to your car. And uh, what's another thing is it's amazing is it's self-healing. So if it does get like little micro fine scratches and stuff on it, if you pour hot water on it, it will actually heal Whoa. itself. Yes. We need to talk more about this in a moment because it's interesting. And and if you had told me about this and you and it wasn't you that had paid for this, yeah, I would have thought it was like true coat, you know, just just rusty uh, rusty Jones. No, 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 no. It's it's, a le- it's real it's, stuff. It's legit- legitimate uh, stuff. Yes. All right, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, so I made a mistake last week, uh, which you pointed out. Uh, but apparently I gave the wrong price in the quiz for the Nissan Z. Correct. So you would have won the quiz. Yes. Okay, so you won. <laughs> I want to make that clear, but I include, was it the Z Performance? Z Performance is about 10 grand over the regular Z. I got the sense, and you know what? I, th- I think this is, I'm not excusing my error because I should have done more research. I think you can't get the base car right now. So when I was, when I was trying to build one on the Nissan website, it didn't come up. Oh, uh, okay, okay. I think. I think I, it's yeah. a, it's a low volume car and I bet you they do restrict production like that. So I'll have to go back and check, but my mistake, uh, your win. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, I'm not an innocent, uh, as well because last week I had mentioned <laughs> Our week of errors. Yes. I mentioned that, uh, the Maserati MC 20 that we talked about last week was the first Maserati mid engine, uh, sports car. And I was incorrect. When I was writing the article about it, I did more research and found out that there is actually two prior, uh, Maserati vehicles that were mid-engine. One was the Bora, and the other one was the Merrick. Yeah, that's on me too. I should have remembered that. Those and those are beautiful cars. Yes, yes, very nice. As you and I were just talking about before we went on air, 
all Italian sports cars from the late 60s and early 70s. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah, because they weren't designed by wind tunnels. They were designed freehand. Yeah, and just thin pillars and lots of glass and kind of low low body. And just everything about them was gorgeous. And they looked, they looked smaller than they were. They looked light. They looked agile. It's a great design period. And it's, it's, it's a shame. It, the Corvette was a very different looking car than I think, than the, the, the Italian stuff. It had a much more American flair to it, yeah. Did you ever watch Speed Racer? Oh, yeah. The background cars in Speed Racer always look like Italian sports cars from the late 60s, which is about the time that thing, I think that show was being produced. But mm-hmm. There wasn't a sedan to be found. Like, no. <laughs> like mom and dad and the kids going to the grocery store, there was something that looked like a Maserati Bora, you know? Yeah. And lucky them. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So we, we, we took care of both the mistakes. Uh, wanted to ask you too. What was I going to ask you about? Shoot! Oh, Superdog, Superdog. We talked to uh, we talked to Don Drucker last week. Yes, I learned, and this is earth shattering, that the tamales were meat free. You were very excited. I was. <laughs> last Monday, I went to Superdog. Or last Tuesday, okay, and I got myself some beef tamales. And how were they? They're really good. Great. <laughs> They're really good. Totally worth the effort. Don was there. It was nice. I got a picture of him there. The other thing I got, uh, sinfully good, they have super veggies. I don't know if you've heard of the super veggies. No, I haven't. But they're little fried nuggets. And veggie suggests maybe healthy. No. No, they're not. No. And like, they're almost not veggie. So you got these little fried veggie nuggets, uh, which are either mushroom caps, uh, zucchini. That's the healthy stuff, sort of. Or broccoli and cheese nuggets, or these ridiculous like cornbread nuggets with real pieces of corn in them. Oh my god! Oh my god! I also learned you can't eat a tamale in the car while you're driving. That makes sense, actually. <laughs> so, so yeah, I had to stop and, and do some vacuuming. Um, but anyway, we were talking about the stuff you did to your car that sounded like true coat, but is real. Yes, it's, um, <laughs> it is real. Um, I a little shout out to uh, Elegant Armor who took care of me. And Are they, I, they're local? Yeah, uh, in Plainfield, and they did a great job. Okay. And, and, and just talk a little bit about this, too. So it's basically just for the front end of the car? No, you can get the entire car wrapped. Um, oh. You know, that's probably like in the $5,000 range. Oh. Um, but oh. the front end of a car is usually in the $2,000 range-ish, depending on you know how complicated the front end is and how big it is and what type of car. SUV obviously going to be probably a little bit more. You know? So it's, it's, it's an investment, but yeah. it definitely long-term, long-run, it's, it's definitely worth every penny. So if you're buying a nice car and you're worried about preserving resale value and just keeping it good looking, this is a good thing to do. Absolutely, yeah. Because after 40,000 miles, when you... The front end of a wrapped car versus the front of a non-wrapped car, like it's completely, it almost looks brand new. And is there any issue with like solar fade? Like if do covered parts age at the same part, same rate as uncovered parts? Yes. It, it, there's really no color problem. Um, okay. And also they have, they have a 10 year warranty. So if there's any peeling or anything like that, they take care of it for you. And if it gets pretty badly mangled, say you're, you're driving on gravel or something and it gets badly chipped up, and you had mentioned it's self-healing. Yes. Uh, but if it goes beyond being self-healable, is it difficult to remove and replace? You have to take it back to them, but uh, they'll, you, know, you can have it removed and replace it with a new sheet. Okay. So you, you, you can't do that yourself. No, it, or you, you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't. You need professionals, but you, know, you don't have to replace the entire, because they do panel per panel. Like, you know, it, it's, it okay. comes in 
it's not like a like a huge umbrella sheet. It's it, it comes in pieces, and then they they would just remove that the specific pieces and replace them. And what is that material? Um, it's called, one of the companies that makes it is Expel, uh, which is probably the most uh, the most yeah. popular one. Um, there's other brands that make it as well, but is I think I believe it's a 3M product. Um, I'd have to look it up, but uh, it's it's just a, a very fine, clear material. That's um, I'm. I'm sure I could look it up and get exact what what the polymers are in it, but it, it's just it basically it's a plastic film and it's high tech. Yes, it's clearly high tech. tech. Yes, I have a funny story about that and it being difficult to remove. I had purchased a, a 1999 Nissan Maxima, and just after my daughter was born, maybe in 2000, it was a year old. I bought it used, and the car had been seriously tinted. Like mm-hmm. the glass was tinted to the point where it was illegal. Okay, like I don't know how because I think Chicago cops. Like to bust people for that. Oh, I got busted years ago for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was weird to buy that at a Chicago dealership. Um, but I got this car with lots of tinted glass. I didn't worry about it until I got pulled over by a Palatine cop. Our studio here is in Palatine, by the way. Who was like, "Yeah, this glass tint is is too too dark." And I'm like, "Yeah, I was going to have that removed." And I sort of was. I wasn't on any schedule. And then he just picked at it, and like it started to come off. And I'm like, "Pull it off." It, yeah. it, we just ripped it off in one sheet and then did the other. And he goes, guess I got nothing to write you off a ticket for. So <laughs> problem solved. This is a little bit more difficult to take off. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is possible. So there you go. I had wanted to talk about this today. I just finished a test drive of the 2023 Lexus LS500H. Okay. And and uh, just start with nice car. Just get that out of the mm-hmm. way. But also a car in really a dying segment. The large luxury car segment uh, is yeah. going away. It is going away, yes. So at the extreme sides of this, the the Mercedes-Benz S-Class, which was once like a huge percentage of Mercedes-Benz sales, back when there were only three cars in their lineup, yeah. or four, um, uh, they sold about 6,000 of those so far this year. That's the high end of the market. The excellent Genesis G90 I was going to say that's the Genesis version of the S Class, yeah. Yeah, uh, seven hundred units so far this oh year. Oh my gosh! Yeah, wow. which is amazing because I would think anyone who test drove that vehicle would buy it. It's amazing, actually. Yeah, I'm yeah. Surprised so, the numbers are so low. Somewhere in that cluster, along with the BMW seven series, series the, the Audi A um, A eight, and what am I missing? That's it. That's everything. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is the LS and the LS. Famously launched the brand way back in yeah. 1990 or so, uh, being a $35,000 V8 powered large car that was like half the price of a Mercedes S Class at the time. That's how they became yeah. Lexus. Yeah. That's how Lexus became Lexus. But people aren't buying them anymore, which is kind of a shame. Uh, I think it's still the brand flagship, arguably. Yeah. But it is a good car. It's a good car, and it's still sort of a strong value versus the German cars. Mm-hmm. So you can get a base powered by the Turbo 3.5 V6 for just starting around $80,000. I drove the hybrid, and, and the thing about the hybrid is they fully equip it. There's a there's a $12,000 option package that comes standard on this. Okay. So that drives the price way, way up. But I, I, I drove this car, and um, it's excellent. It's an excellent car, beautiful interior. There's, there's not a lot here not to actually like. The power is good. The hybrid system is almost transparent. It does that wonky thing when you decelerate and there's a little bit of power surging mm-hmm. as you're coming to a stop. It's irritating. I don't know how many people will notice it. It's the kind of thing that annoys me. And and there isn't as much interior space as there should be. The back seats are not like really huge for like, 
you know, I mean, there's room, but it's not like when you look at the length of the car and then the, you get in the back seat, you're kind of like, well, what's going on here? And I, you know, that's part of the reason that people go to crossovers. Yeah. Actually, is just the better use of space. Because you can put four adults in this car, but they're not going to be as comfortable as they should be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you do have to sort of sink down low into this car, which is, you know, I'm old and big. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but on, the, on the reverse side, obviously, the driving dynamics that a car gives yep. you over an SUV is, you know, night and day. In fact, I was just going to say that um, I took years ago the, the 2019 version of the LS500. It wasn't the hybrid. It was a, the, um, the V6 uh, turbo engine. Uh, this was before the, I guess they refreshed everything in 21, yep. but, uh, but the chassis and everything was the same back in 19. And I actually took that out, out on a racetrack kind of as a joke. And it feels um, like a joke. <laughs> it was the F sport version. So I said, well, if this is the F sport, let's see what it can really do. Yeah. And I took it out on the racetrack in Gingerman Raceway in Michigan. And I, I was actually blown away. It was very impressive. We did a whole video on it. Um, and came out, you know, came out of this car holding my helmet and just saying, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of things about sedans, and we've all gotten away from sedans, and I understand why the market has done that, but sedans will always be better handling because the weight distribution is better and lower. Sure. So you're not, this chassis isn't contending with the amount of lean or compensating for the, for, the, for the weight distribution being higher up in the body. And secondly, and I think people forget this, sedans are always going to be quieter yes. because they just have less frontal area. Mm-hmm. And you sort of forget that. Like you drive like a really quiet big SUV, like a, an Escalade. You still get that weird drumming from the back of the vehicle just because it's a huge open can. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's super quiet, but not as quiet as a, as a sedan. Mm-hmm. But uh, in a nutshell, I like this car a lot. Um, the fuel economy is pretty good for a hybrid, 23.2. That's for a big, powerful sedan. It's a luxury car. does use premium, which whatever. The Mark Levinson audio system. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. You know, we spent all our time now talking about Macintosh. And is it the AKG system in the Cadillac? That I don't know. That system's very good, too. But this is, Mark Levinson's been around forever. And I realize that these are just brands that are slapped on cars, but yeah. there are standards that they have to meet. And Lexus does a really good job with this. Yeah. From my understanding, Macintosh and Lexus and, and I think even Genesis will, with Lexicon, they mm-hmm. actually have representatives of those audio systems come to the factory and they help design um, in real, you know, on the real chassis where to locate speakers and put everything else just for the optimal sound. Yeah. And I don't know how many people know this. Most of these brands are now owned and licensed by Harman International. So Harman Kardon Audio is part of that. And, oh, okay. And uh, Bose is not. Um, and uh, Bowers and Wilkins. Wilkins and Bowers is not. But almost all the other brands, including JBL. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, are all licensed. And, and fundamentally, they're kind of the same. But yes, when you get to the higher end stuff, they do have standards. And those standards are applied. And sometimes they pay off big time. And like the Macintosh audio system in the Jeep products is ridiculously good. Mm-hmm. But the Mark Levinson system in a sedan... It's good. I think it's a 21 speaker or a 23 speaker. I don't know. Yeah. I never understand why there's, why there's an odd number of speakers in something that's supposed to be stereo, but. <laughs> I, I think it's the center channel for voice, maybe. I don't know. Is it? Okay. You see that on dashboards. Yeah. Or, or they're referring to the subwoofer in the back. I, I, I don't know. What, but you're right. There's always an odd number. Oh, it could be the subwoofer. I guess that's just one big single speaker. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, nice car. This one got expensive because of the it being the hybrid, $114,000, a lot of money for a car, but way cheaper than if you were trying to equip a, an Audi A8 to BMW 7 Series or Mercedes-Benz S-Class similarly. So it's, it's, it's one of those rare things that cost more than a hundred grand 
and is a good deal. Yeah. Just like the G90, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the G90. And and interesting thing about that, the G90 actually was Consumer Guide's best buy pick in the category last year, largely because it makes better use of space. And it's hard to deny just the style and design of that car. The application is so good. But if you wanted something just a little bit less extroverted, this is the, the, the Lexus is a great stealthy way to go. Mm-hmm. So good car. Review is up now at consumerguide.com. Uh, I think we'll take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to... Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. Questions or comments? Drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That's carstuff at consumerguide.com. Welcome back to the Car Stuff Podcast. And special guest, Sam Fiorani. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for sticking around. Paul, this is the part of the show where I irritate people by bothering them with my, uh, I used to say Twitter, I guess it's now X. X account, yes. My X activity. Okay. Which hasn't changed, even though the name of the, the venue has. Uh, but good car spotter stuff. I found a, uh, I found a pink, a matte pink uh, Tesla Model Y over the weekend. Weird color. It looked like it might be Mary, Mary Kay. I was going to say, not. was it Mary Kay? It, it, it wasn't, because those are usually marked, right? Don't they usually say Mary There's an applique or a Somewhere sticker? Somewhere on it, yeah. I didn't see that. Okay. So this is just someone with bad taste. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's either an excellent cosmetic salesperson or someone with bad taste. Okay. Uh, yeah, so follow me on Twitter. I am CarGuyTom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. CarGuyTom. Uh, I promise to entertain all right, our guest today is our old friend Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. Sam is going to help us make sense of a lot of the weird stuff happening in the news today. Sam, how are you? Doing very well. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm good. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. A lot of weird stuff going on, but uh, what's going on at Auto Forecast Solutions? Oh, uh, we're still plugging away at our uh, 96 and. Uh, informing the industry of what's going on and keeping everybody on top of it all. Well, that's cool. Now, before we start talking about new cars, tell us what you're working on with the Boyertown Museum of Historic Vehicles and, and what your role is there. Uh, I sit on the board of the directors for the museum, and uh, the director and I have put together a series of videos we call uh, Afternoons with Kendra and Sam. We've been putting these together for few, for about a month now. And the second one should come out tomorrow. We're looking for uh, any feedback on our little talk show, we call it. And uh, it's a <laughs> half an hour of being some topic in the automotive world. Well, the first one was very entertaining. So, yeah, people should check that out. How can we check that out? It, it's at uh, on YouTube on the Boyertown Museum page. Okay. Uh, or you can check out any of my social media. Tell us about the Boyertown Museum in case people forgot. The Boyertown Museum is sitting. Boyertown Museum of Historic Vehicles sits in Boyertown, Pennsylvania, and it specializes in Pennsylvania and regional built vehicles, as well as alternative fueled vehicles. So we have a nice collection of electric vehicles going back well over 100 years. Cool. Well, that's a fun place to go. Now, you guys had a big celebration last summer. Are you doing anything big this summer? Well, this summer we have a display in our lobby of uh, a replica of the DeLorean from Back to the Future. <laughs> Excellent. That's cool. Well, very cool. All right, new cars. Are you ready? I'm ready. What are the odds we're actually going to see a Corvette SUV? Well, it seems like it's growing better and better. Uh, the General Motors is working on a new brand of vehicles, and they will be electric. And it, 
and everybody believes it to be called Corvette when it comes out, and that'll start around 2026 or 2027, uh, and it'll start with uh, probably two models, and we're presuming that the next generation Chevrolet Corvette will become one of those models as well. Well, the Corvette that we know now is handily named Stingray as well, so it could be the Corvette Stingray as a model, right? It, it, it very well could. That, that's a perfect uh, name for the vehicle. Um, and then we'll have a, a Corvette four-door crossover, probably something along the lines of a Porsche. So it'll, it'll be high performance and fully electric. Now, now, Sam, remind me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember a time um, uh, back in the uh, Roger and Me days uh, when, when Roger Smith was over at General Motors running things, that there was some talk about moving Corvette uh, to an independent brand so that they could sell Corvettes through, through Cadillac dealerships. Is that sort of what's happening now? That seems to be coming to fruition finally. Uh, I remember those rumors going way back to the early '80s, and uh, it it doesn't it never made a lot of sense for a high end model like a Corvette right. to be sold alongside uh, Cavaliers and you know Chevy Sprints <laughs> and all these low end models. If, if you're coming in to buy a, a sixty currently a seventy thousand dollar car, you, don't you want to be treated a little like the person next to you who's buying a what would be now a uh, $20,000 tracks. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, a separate brand. So we could technically see Corvette franchises end up at Cadillac stores and maybe even Buick stores. That's exactly it. Uh, they would probably be standalone more like, a uh, Hyundai's Genesis or, uh, or Toyota's Lexus, uh, standalone from the rest of the brands, probably not teamed up with the others, but, uh, it could be in, you know, in more rural areas where uh, they couldn't support the brand themselves. What What do you make of the success of crossovers for exotic brands? Like we have uh, Lamborghini, Bentley, Rolls-Royce, for example, all have added crossovers, SUVs, to their lineup, and they very quickly became most of the sales for those brands, which short-term seems like a great thing. Is I'm concerned, and tell me if I'm just crazy that to some extent that these vehicles good though they may be water down the brand equity a little bit i've long thought that they when you come out with a, a lower end model like my beloved jaguar when they came out with lower end models i always thought oh this will be great for the first couple of years and then you know the the lower model will drag down the reputation of the more expensive the rarer models um in this case these models aren't that cheap they are uh, just more utilitarian than, than say, a, a Lamborghini Gallardo. Um, I always go back to, I think it was Honda who said, every Honda Accord owner has a Chrysler minivan in the same garage with them. <laughs> so if you're, if you're appealing to one type of customer and you see that customer buying another type of vehicle next to your, your product, don't you think you should probably fill that gap? And uh, a utilitarian Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche um, just makes sense as long as you keep the DNA of that brand. Well, I was going to say that, uh, yeah, you, you had just mentioned Ferrari. Um, they were sort of a, one of the holdouts, but uh, yeah. eventually caved in as well because they just came out with the uh, Puro Sangue, so, um, which I actually saw when I was uh, in Italy a few weeks ago. And it, it looks amazing, actually. It doesn't look like a crossover. No, it, it, it's more like a taller car look to it, and I think that's what makes it appealing. Yeah, it, it is to Ferrari, I think, what the Panamera is sort of to Porsche. 
uh, it's less crossover and more high sedan. Mm-hmm. But but to that to that point, uh, Sam, it, it does seem too that all these these makes we're talking about not not the not Bentley or, or um, Rolls Royce, but more Ferrari or uh, Lamborghini. These vehicles now are daily drivers too. Like people can buy them and drive them every sure, day. They're all-wheel drive, great for the winter. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That when you're driving, when you own a a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, it, it's not necessarily a four seasons vehicle. No. It's uh, not the the one that you take to the grocery store. And so, if you have a more utilitarian model that that carries the fun that you would get out of driving a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Uh, maybe not to the extreme of their top models, but still more enjoyable than uh, the family station wagon. It, it makes sense to put it into the lineup and spread your your uh, your DNA across more usage. And I would I would love to be able to park next to my uh, uh, vintage Testarossa a new Ferrari <laughs> crossover so I can go to the grocery store with that. But, you know, that's just not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> and, and also these SUVs are bringing in the box because people are buying them like crazy. Yeah, the volume is huge. Yeah. Again, they're, they're like yeah. doubling the sales of some of these yeah, brands. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, no. Ferrari is over 10,000 units, and it wasn't that long ago that they said they'd never build over 5,000. So, you know, it, it's amazing how much these have grown. Uh, Lamborghini itself, was just a niche player until uh, Chrysler bought them 30 years, 35 years ago. And, uh, and now with Volkswagen owning, owning them, it, it's just blossomed into a real brand. I have to say that of all the premium, super premium SUVs, I think the Lamborghini Urus is, is the best looking. It's such a sharp vehicle. Uh, I do like the uh, Aston Martin DBX. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the DBX yeah. is beautiful, that's too. That's very yeah. good. All right, that's a good yeah. one, too. All right, Sam, I got another topic for you. Are you ready? Shoot me. All right. I, well, you're not here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we saw that that General Motors and Ford and, and Volvo and Nissan have all signed up to, to make use of and to partner with a Tesla for, to use Tesla's charging system uh, for, their, for their vehicle buyers, their electric vehicle buyers. But subsequent to that, we now hear that there's a group of manufacturers, not including Tesla, building their own network. And some of those are duplicate uh, duplicate uh, entities. What do you make of that? We need more chargers. Yeah. You know, as you're driving along the highways, it, it's it's going to become... It, we don't have just one or two oil producers. You get all kinds of different uh, uh, gas stations along the way. So having multiple charging stations would make a lot of sense just to encourage more sales. Tesla would like to have even more sales. And in order, in order to do that, you need chargers, and more chargers the better. So uh, if uh, if Tesla can charge at these stations, if uh, General Motors can charge at both stations, it just improves the the chances of you being able to buy and not have to worry about where I'm going to charge it and uh, range anxiety and all the things that typically come with uh, EV ownership or prospective EV ownership for people who've never bought one before. It, very true. Uh, the only difference, though, is when you go to um, a mobile versus a shell, um, the pump is going to fit. <laughs> I mean, other than maybe a diesel, but, you know, you don't have to worry about adapters and things like that. Um, it seems like because of all these different electrical networks, uh, there's going to be some adapters or some little confusion going on. 
Yeah, it, it's kind of a VHS versus beta thing that, that's going on right now. And uh, it, with VHS and beta, the better one did not win out. And we're just hoping that <laughs> the one that does win out here is the better choice. Um, but but GM and Ford are looking at both plugs. They're looking at being able to do both charging systems. So uh, they're not even picking a winner yet. Sam, is there any urgency to picking a winner at this point? If you can find an adapter, does it matter that much? It's not like Chatamo, the 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 um, the system that was being used mostly by Nissan back, and, and I think they've abandoned now too. The the um, the Tesla standard and the CCS standard are pretty compatible. Um, in, in terms of, of what they need from a charger, it's just that the actual connection is different. Is there a hurry in trying to make a decision about which to use? I think it all comes down to the billing, actually. Uh, where you, When you charge with a standard uh, CCS plug, it, you're putting in your credit card, you're doing all that stuff, where the, the Tesla charger reads your car. And so it, it bills you directly. There's no direct credit card necessary for that setup. Um, but the, the Tesla charger works best with Teslas. And so if they can engineer that into a standard General Motors electric vehicle, all the things would improve the, the charging ability, the, uh, maintenance of, of the car back and forth. Cause they, the plugs talk to each other in the Tesla system. Uh, it's, it would be a vast improvement if we could come up with one system that would work both directions and tell you the state of your battery and the state of the, and how fast the charger is. Yeah. For people who don't know, if you take your Tesla, back it up to a Tesla charger, all you have to do is pick up the, the connector, plug it in and the rest is done, right? The car is identified by the Tesla charging system and you are billed uh, to your credit card and you don't have to do anything else. There's no waiting. There's no entering a number. Is there even a passcode? I don't think so. I don't think there is. And and it also tells uh, the state of your battery and how fast it can charge your, your battery. So uh, uh, you don't have to waste any time. You just plug in and go. Yeah, that's pretty handy. Now, I understand that the Ford Mustang Mach-E is supposed to have that compatibility with the Electrify America network, and it's not very reliable. Yeah, the, the, the whole problem with all the, the charging networks uh, seemingly aside from Tesla, is that they're not maintained as well as they should be and uh, making sure that all the chargers work, that there's someone around to to uh, provide service to the chargers themselves just so that we have a, a good, strong network. Uh, you know, with gas pumps, we have a, a guy who ro- owns that station. A person owns that station and maintains the pumps. The chargers are supposed to, you know, self-service they're supposed to work all by themselves but they do break down in chicago the the walgreens uh well, walgreens is national but there are a lot of walgreens drugstores in chicago and a lot of them are on corner properties very valuable properties and they many of them including the one in palatine here has old level two chargers and they are now these ghostly edifices that just sit there with the lights on not being used and most of them are broken it's a very <laughs> It's a very sad thing to see, but that's sort of what the early stages of the charging network were like. And now the, uh, these, these companies are putting in level threes, but the maintenance of them isn't any better. I just charged a brand new level three charger at a Walgreens store 
And the first time I tried to connect, it didn't work. And the second time I got it to work, but none of the stuff that was supposed to read out, like uh, my estimated time of charge, the rate of charge, none of that stuff was working. It just said not available. So yeah, the existing network is frustrating. Yeah, the the charging network around here, uh, I notice it just because I'm a car guy, but you know, I don't think many of the people who have the legacy in, uh, uh, internal combustion engine vehicles know where these chargers are. And near my office, there's a hotel. We would just leave our electric vehicles when we test them at the hotel, and nobody really questioned us. We just plug it in and walk away. <laughs> I was driving around the old Motorola complex. I don't know if people know that Motorola is here in Schaumburg, Illinois, not too far from our studio, but Motorola is mostly dissolved now. But I did find a building with a bank of level two chargers that were operating, and it looked like I could just plug in. Now, that seems like it's illegal and, you know, generally, uh, you know, low integrity, but it's just there in case I need to know it. <laughs> well, there are chargers around that if you know where to look, you can you know somebody else is paying for the electricity. Uh, there's a community college nearby here where whenever I would have a test vehicle at home, I'd park it over there and charge it up. And, uh, and like I said, the Boyertown Museum specializes in electric vehicles. We've got chargers there, too, so you can just pull right in and and charge your Tesla or your standard uh, CCS plug. Well, that's nice of you. We have the Volta network in Illinois. Do you guys have that? I haven't seen that one around. Volta is, is an interest. Their business case is interesting. They install the charger uh, at a retail property, and I believe that the retailer is responsible for electricity, but to maintain the charger and to more or less get them paid, they run ads on a very big screen. It's level <laughs> two charging, so it's, you're not getting a lot of power anyway. So I, get, I get those commercials at the gas station, too, but it doesn't lower my price of gas at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but a good deal on Cheetos is a good deal on Cheetos. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very true. That's so true. Sam, I wanted to ask you about one more thing. We, we know that like the Chevrolet Bolt is currently available at fire sale prices, and it's selling very well, the Bolt EV uh, for General Motors. But, but Volvo just announced the Volvo XC30. They just revealed that. And the pricing for this vehicle seems suspiciously low. They're talking about, this is a, a subcompact electric crossover, very good-looking car in pictures. And they're talking about prices as, as low as $35,000, which just seems like a great deal for a Volvo, much less an electric yeah, Volvo. Yeah. Any thoughts on that pricing and their marketing strategy? Uh, they're definitely looking for market share. They're definitely looking to, burst, to support their image of uh, going EV. Uh, the pricing is really low for a Volvo, for an electric vehicle, for a car imported from China. There are a lot of things to question about that price. And uh, when you're competing, when you're competing with an imported vehicle, you're not going to be eligible for the uh, A incentives. So oh, yeah. you're competing with cars that are actually seven thousand dollars more expensive than that. Um, maybe so that's, it, maybe the, that's the pricing is just it, there yeah. to be yeah. to be competitive with. Uh, the sub forty thousand dollar vehicles, where you know a Model Y is just at the edge of that area. Uh, so, and the Volvo is smaller. The Volvo, uh, from what I've heard, has a cheaper interior. Mm. Um, it's it's very small inside. So there's a lot of negatives. But if you're in the market for an electric vehicle, it's priced right, and uh, and it's got a uh, a solid name behind it with Volvo. Sam, remind us why being of Chinese origin has an impact on price. Well, since the Trump administration, there have been uh, there have been tariffs on 
vehicles imported from China. And it makes an import from China almost non-competitive. There are a handful of vehicles sold in the United States from China, and somehow they eat. But uh, it's a lot of money added on. I believe it's uh, 27%. So it's a lot of money added to the price of the vehicle, and it's just to prevent Chinese vehicles from being competitive in, in the United States. And right now, not a lot of Chinese cars in the U.S., right? There's a, there's a couple of other Volvo sedans, I think. Uh, the coming Lincoln Nautilus is going to be coming from China. And I forgot the name of the Buick, the, the compact Buick that's imported, the Buick. Encore? Envision. Envision. Envision, thank you. And that's about right. it, right? Yeah, no, they're literally, and the Polestar 2. They're, oh, thank you, yes. Uh, only a handful of them from China right now. Uh, we've had a few in the past, and right now it's we're we're stopping uh, the expansion of Chinese brands. BYD would love to be here, but it's just too expensive to bring one in. Uh, Polestar is here, but you know their their vehicles take on a huge tariff, which is why the next generation will be built in South Carolina. Uh-huh. Uh, there are a lot of things that are that good things that that tariff is doing by luring companies into North America for production uh, and preventing more competition coming as the companies that are here are trying to expand their EV footprint. Volvo's EX90, they're coming big crossover, that's electric. That's going to be built in South Carolina, correct? Yeah, the Volvo EX90 will uh, will replace the XC90, and it will be built in South Carolina. Okay, cool. Sam, we've run out of time, but remind us about Boyertown and uh, Auto Forecast Solutions. Well, yeah, check out the Boyertown Museum of Historic Vehicles on YouTube. Uh, Check out the website, and if you're in the area, please stop by the museum and tell them I sent you. Uh, As for Auto Forecast Solutions, we provide data to the auto industry on what's going on, what's coming up, and uh, how to how to position your company for uh, whatever the next wave in the automotive industry is. And we're on YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or X, or whatever you want to call it, and (laughs) everything else. Sam, thank you again for joining us. You you always make us seem smarter. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. That's Sam Fiorani with Auto Forecast Solutions. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Questions or comments? Drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That's carstuff at consumerguide.com. Welcome back to the Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. I'm Tom Appel. I'm here with Paul Harold of the Sons of Speed. Paul, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Paul, tell us a little bit about how people can follow the action at the Sons of Speed and, and that we are motor-driven. Correct. Uh, We are Motor Driven. It's a um, kind of an umbrella website of three different groups, uh, Auto Exotica, Rides and Drives, and Sons of Speed. So you can find us there. That's handy. Very handy, yes. That's good stuff. So, uh, and and you're not doing much social media personally, right? Um, Right now, no, I'm just really busy at my other job, so (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of took a little backseat. When I took a bigger role at Consumer Guide, um, and, and not just managing the content, but managing the, the management of it, uh, I found I had no time for social media. It, it, so it, it I'm gets, a little less fun than I used to be. It, it's really difficult to do everything at once, yeah. Sometimes you wish there wasn't social media. Absolutely, yes. But people live there now. Yeah, people live there. And you kind of got to go there if you want to make things work. So crazy stuff. Paul, I have good news for you. Uh, what is that time? It's quiz time. Ugh. Today's topic is colors, exclamation point. Okay. I think you'll find this one just a little bit easier than last week's. 
Uh, I'm going to give you a car. I'm going to give you two colors, and you have to tell me which one of those is real or if both are real. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, first one, very popular vehicle, the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. Quadrifoglio, yes. Yes. Uh, say it again. Quadrifoglio. Okay, what he said. Actually, I'm sorry. Quadrifoglio. So you don't say said. the G? No. Okay. G's are silent. I got Giulia right? Yeah, Giulia's, yeah. Okay. Because there's, there's Studio Ghibli. Yes. And the car is Ghibli, correct? Yes. Yeah. I got those straight. Okay. At least I did just now. An hour later, I won't. Okay, uh... The Alfa Romeo. Okay. I have Vesuvio Gray, Volcano Black, or are both real? Vesuvio Gray sounds, because I'm out in Vesuvius, so it, sound, it sounds legit. Um, not sure about Volcano Black, so I'm going to say just the Vesu, Vesuvio's Gray. Sorry to say both are real. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Paul, you have no points. <laughs> I know you love saying that, too. <laughs> All right, you've got four more chances here, uh, plus a bonus question to, to get three. We didn't clarify. Three is a win. Okay, yes. Three is a win. The 2023 BMW X5, Brooklyn Gray, Denmark Ice, or both are real? Brooklyn Gray is real. It is. It's also a great looking color. It's what it, my color, my car color is. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good looking color. It's non-metallic. No, it is metallic. It is metallic? Yeah, it is oh, metallic. maybe that's yeah. why it looks cool. Yeah. I don't know. I like it a lot. You have one point, sir. Actually, I took one point from you because you got the metallic wrong just now. Uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't put metallic, did I? Oh, oh, oh. I, okay. <laughs> I'm joking. All right. So you get a half point for that. <laughs> Here's the thing. If I do a quiz, there's going to be something slightly wrong about it. Almost every time. All right. Next question. This is question three. You have one point. You need three. Uh, the 2023 Volkswagen Jetta, that's Jetta's compact sedan, uh, rising blue metallic, dusty malt, or are both real? Oh my. I think the rising blue is real for sure. I just don't know about the dusty malt. Dusty malt sounds like a country lounge singer. <laughs> and she's a little past her prime. Dusty okay. malt. Let me go with the uh, blue. You are correct, sir. You have two points. Okay. It's looking like you're going to win this one. All right. Number three, the Toyota Sienna XSE. So that is the, it just makes me giggle to say this, the sporty Sienna minivan. <laughs> I was going to say it's sporty minivan. <laughs> it is kind of sporty, actually. But yeah, it seems it seems counterintuitive. Uh, three color, or two colors here. Cement, creamy mocha, or are both real? this point it's just going to be a guess um i don't know cement seems too easy <laughs> um so let's go with the creamy mocha no it is cement oh god and i want to say that there was a cyan color cyan was once a division of toyota that was called concrete okay i want to say that was a color so they've got this this construction material thing down <laughs> all right uh you've got two points you need you need one more uh oh last question before the uh, the bonus question, Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross. That is one of Mitsubishi's three crossovers. Yes. Which are difficult to distinguish from one another. Uh, your color it, choices. It, it sounds like a last-ditch effort to cash in on the Eclipse uh, fame from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I, I, or 90s, I mean. If, if there was any point in time where I sort of lost faith in Mitsubishi, it was when they used Eclipse like this. Yeah. Because we've talked about those, about yeah. the Eclipse. Great, you? great cars back in the day. Oh, my God. These, these crazy all-wheel drive turbocharged yeah. sport coupes, they were insane. 
Yeah, I couldn't afford one, and I certainly couldn't afford to insure one, but crazy. Uh, this is not that. <laughs> this is a rather ordinary small crossover with the Eclipse name glued on it. Uh, Labrador Black Pearl, White Diamond, or both? Both. Just Labrador Black. Oh, uh, we're done. I bet you got two points. Oh, you need no. the bonus question, sir. Yep. This is exciting. Luckily, it, uh, it's about a topic we've been talking the about today. The reason why Diamond, you, you tricked me because it used to be Diamond Star Motors. That's with, true. Back with Chrysler. So that's why I thought, okay, maybe that's actually a legitimate one. Yeah. For people who don't know, the Diamond Star was, was uh, that weird Pentastar Mitsubishi Diamond thing together because originally that was a joint venture between yeah. Mitsubishi and Chrysler. Yeah. And that plant was kind of modern, too. It yeah, was this, normal Illinois, yep. Yeah. It was it was big and single level. That was a big thing when, when factories went to single level. It was a whole two-story thing, not working. Yeah, well, yeah. a lot of up and down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, you remember uh, Kenny Rogers Roasters? No. Okay. But <laughs> you don't? No. Really? No. Oh, it was a chicken chain made famous in an episode of Seinfeld. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Now I remember. Yes. Yeah. There was one in Wheeling or Schaumburg, I remember. Yeah. Kenny Rogers Roasters. Uh, meteoric rise to success and then like it flamed out pretty quickly. Okay. Boston Market killed it back when Boston Market was Boston Chicken. Anyway, uh, the chain fell apart. It was briefly owned by Nathan's Famous, which sold the franchise in 2008 for just $1 million to Roasters Asian Pacific Limited. Okay. Now there are only Kenny Rogers Roasters in Malaysia and Indonesia. Okay. Uh, you need to know that for the next question. Uh, the last American store closed in 2011. Paul, which of the following is not currently found on the menu of Kenny Rogers Roasters in Malaysia? I cannot wait, Tom. <laughs> this is like the sole thing that brings me joy every week. Uh, these are the four things, uh, menu items. One of them is fake. I need you to identify the fake. The OMG Chicken uh, Kids Meal, the Kenny's Angus Sirloin, the Cream of Mushroom Soup, or the Kenny's Famous Abilene Gizzards. I can reread the list if you like. You might as well, Tom. All right, yeah, because I want to reread the list. The OMG Chicken Kids Meal, the Kenny's Angus Sirloin, the Cream of Mushroom Soup, or Kenny's Famous Abilene Gizzards. I'm drawn to that last one. But because they sound good? Or? No, because oh. they sound like something you would make up. Oh. <laughs> Both good reasons. I'm going to go with the OMG chicken or kids meal. Oh, you should have gone with your gut. Oh. The, the Kenny's famous Abilene gizzards are fake. Okay. All the other stuff is real. I don't know what to make of the pricing because it's it's in Malaysian money and all the prices are like 5000 Okay. So I, I don't yeah. know what that is. Did you ever, do you remember Brown's Chicken? That was yeah. a Chicago chain. Sure. They sold gizzards. Okay. I don't know. I, KFC, a little too conventional, didn't do the gizzards. All right, you got two out of five, six. It was a tough quiz. Yes, and you said it was going to be easier than last week's. <laughs> Not easier enough, apparently. Oh, man. So what else have you been driving? Uh, well, right now I have a um, Genesis GV70 Electrified. We should talk about that vehicle for a moment because the GV70 mm -hmm. is the smallest. Cr well, there is the GV60, 60, which is all electric. That's all electric. Yeah. This is we're talking about Genesis, the Hyundai luxury brand, um, and and the GV70, which is available as a gas vehicle, 
Outstanding vehicle. Yes, outstanding. Yeah, especially with the 3.5 turbo engines, really, really nice. Yeah, that's a nice vehicle. There's also a four-cylinder version of it, which is also very nice. But the electrified version, I have not driven that. I have driven the electric version of the G80 mm-hmm. midsize Genesis sedan. Which is a car. A sedan, yeah. yeah. And it's outstanding. Yeah. So this is basically the, the G80 on a, a foot a foot taller. <laughs> so Yeah, and, and you're saying it's it's good. It's very good, yeah. It's uh the power delivery is just excellent. Uh it's got a, a lot of torque, that instant torque that uh, that uh, just pulls you out of any situation and it does the delivery is smooth and it's just nice so nice and quiet and very just feels so luxurious. I I will say I agree with you cuz you had said this a while ago. Electric vehicles make for fantastic luxury vehicles, and and, and this is no exception. Yeah, it, it in in the case where you convert a gasoline powered electric a luxury vehicle to an electric vehicle, the transfer is almost the transfer almost makes the vehicle almost always makes the vehicle better. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the recharging dilemma that we have right now, you know, it, this would be if in, in a vehicle that I would say to everyone, go get it. Um, obviously if, if, if you can support a ga- an electric vehicle in your, in your lifestyle, it's a great vehicle. Um, but if you need that extra range and don't want to stop to recharge and stuff, then, you know, obviously the gasoline makes more sense. Yeah. And, and again, still that the electric vehicles make more sense for, for wealthier buyers because they probably have a single family home. They probably have a garage where they can put level two charging yep. and they probably have other cars. Yes. And that's the key thing is this is great as a secondary vehicle or, uh, or if you don't, you know, if you don't travel a lot or don't mind pulling over and waiting a few hours to charge. Yeah. What is the range of this thing? Um, I don't know the official figures, but when I fully charged it, it's, it showed uh, like two twelve on the, uh, on the range meter there. Okay. Okay, yeah. And we're at the part of the time of the year, too. Air conditioning is going to hurt that. Yes. Highway travel is going to hurt that. And the heat. Yeah. As well as the cold, so. <laughs> it's funny because we're learning increasingly, there's all these articles showing up now about the heat wave, and especially down in the Southwest, people are seeing their range being dinged. Yeah. But it turns out that electric car batteries, especially lithium-ion batteries specifically, seem to like the exact same temperatures that humans do. Yes. It's it's amazing how they don't like much under thirty, and they don't really like under forty degrees. Correct Fahrenheit, and they really don't like temperatures over ninety. Yes, uh, they prefer like sixty four to about seventy five. Yeah. At Consumer Guide, we had a, a one one year loan of the Kia Soul EV, and and that's when that was sort of the first Kia Soul EV, and the battery range was eighty three. Wow, eighty three miles. Okay, but on a nice day in like May. It would read 115 mm-hmm. because the weather was nice. We weren't using the air conditioning and it just worked. And in cold weather, we saw it dip as low as like 58, 59, yeah. which was so low, I wouldn't drive it home. Like, I'm like, this, this could be an issue. Trying to home <laughs> You're getting iffy there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, here's the other thing about that. And this is why you so badly need a home charger. It's, let's say it's 20 degrees out. I'm driving this car with 58 miles of range home. I use up more than half the battery getting home. 110 charging outside, wall outlet charging, is slow anyway. Yeah. When it's 20 degrees out, it may not actually be charging. Like, it it is. Yeah. But if it's enough to matter, um, this was a thing, too, where my wife and I drive to Wisconsin frequently to visit my mother-in-law, and and we could charge an electric vehicle in her garage at a wall outlet, but it wouldn't matter. Like during the four hours we're there, we might pick up 10, 12 miles. I was just, yeah, I was just saying, <laughs> on, a one, on a 110, 
four hours is going to be about 12 miles. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. And, and I've lately I've had better luck with some level three public charging, mm-hmm. but even then I was disappointed. It's still not where it needs to be. And this, um, 350 kilowatt hour charger that they're talking about to, uh, charge, um, Genesis and Hyundai batteries in 15 minutes or so. I don't even know where they are. Here's the funny thing about that. Uh, Electrify America calls its 150 watt stations super fast. That's 150 kilowatt hours. Not nearly fast enough to charge uh, some of those Genesis, I'm sorry, the um, um, Hyundai products. Yeah. Um, And then they call their 350 kilowatt hours, which I've never seen, ultra fast. Yeah. So that's the distinction. I don't even know if if a single one is out there or... Is it just maybe in the future? I don't know. I've seen super fast ones and mm-hmm. I've used those and they deliver 150 kilowatts. So that's good. That's yeah. pretty quick. You still have to sit there for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and if it works, then everything's fine. But yeah, I don't know what's going on with the network. And I'm wondering what's going to come of the, the public charging stations like Electrify America and, and EVgo if the manufacturers have now decided that their systems were inadequate and they're taking over. I mean, does do you think that General Motors is in this to earn money from charging or will they sell this off at some point or make it a separate company? Good question. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of money to be made in charging. Maybe there is. I, I really don't know. There may not be enough money and that's why we have this problem. Yeah. And if it, there, it, seem, it seems to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And if it is enough money, then they have to charge more for it, mm-hmm. which hurts the case Wh- too. Which hurts the case against gasoline. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a tricky situation, but we have not seen effective public charging uh, not much of it. Not much of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's weird. But the Tesla systems work for Tesla owners. So maybe manufacturers have to get into this and support it themselves. It seems like that's the the way out. Yeah. And, and we're all going to have to use a Tesla charging nozzle adapter, which is irritating. Yes. Because <laughs> I just, I don't want to give Musk that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, guess what we did? We burned through another hour. We did. Thank you for jumping in two weeks in a row. It was good to have you. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, good to have you. Uh, so thank you very much to Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions for joining us today. Thank you to producer Randy and the good folks here at TalkZone. Uh, join us next week. We'll be back same time, same bat channel. Uh, until then, uh, we'll talk about cars again next week. Remember to check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. The Car Stuff Podcast is produced by J-Turn Media. To advertise on the show, please drop us a line at CarStuff at ConsumerGuide.com.